You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. I told the first, those in the first service, I'm on drugs. <laughs> Sudafed. I'm Sudafed. <clears throat> so, uh, I, I, in the first service, there were certain words I couldn't say. I couldn't pronounce, so it's kind of nice when you can blame it on cold medicine. All right, so how you doing? Like, doing good? Good. It's nice out today, or it's going to be. It's supposed to be, my watch tells me it's going to be 48 degrees, so there you go. Hey, the ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to take the the morning's uh, offering. If you're visiting with us, please don't feel obligated to give. We're so happy you're here and visiting with us. If you could let us know how you found out about us, what led you to Meadowbrook, that'd be awesome. Um, we started a sermon series last week uh, on, well, titled "Who Am I?" On the handout that uh, was given to you on your way in, on the back, there's one one side for to take notes, and there's an uh, other side that has notes provided for you. So there are some key terms. Uh, I uh, I think thoughts or ideas, and then there are references, some books that uh, helped me as I prepared uh, this sermon series. So that will be, you know, that will change from week to week. There will be more information on that, on that handout from week to week, so be sure to make sure you get one of those on your way in uh, next week. Uh, as I was preparing for this sermon series, one of the things that I learned is that loneliness is an epidemic. It's, it's a real thing. It's a, it's a real medical thing. Dr. Vic Murphy, former Surgeon General of the United States, wrote this in an article published in the Harvard Business Review. She wrote, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. I thought, wow. So loneliness is just as uh, dangerous to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, which is not a reason to say, hey, I have great social connections, I'm just going to go out and smoke 15 cigarettes a day. But I thought it was revealing that, you know, that this is, this is pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, one study listed loneliness as a risk that increases the chance of coronary disease and stroke by 30%. Because of how it raises the stress hormones in your body and your body doesn't like stress. And I thought that was interesting. And another uh, survey conducted by Cigna said nearly half of Americans feel alone, isolated, or left out at least some of the time. Uh, of <clears throat> the nation's 75 million millennials, that age bracket is from ages 23 to 37, and Generation Z, which are adults from 18 to 22, are, are the lonelier are, are lonelier than any other U.S. demographic and, re, and, and report being in worse health than older generations. I picked up a book earlier this week uh, titled iGen, which is another uh, category uh, to describe anyone born between 1995 
and 2012. And they call them iGen because of the, this is the generation that did not know life without the internet, right? So iGen, uh, written by Jen, or Jean Twang, uh, notes this, that iGeners look so happy online, making goofy faces on Snapchat and smiling in their pictures on Instagram, but dig deeper and reality is not so comforting iGen is on the verge of the most severe mental health crisis for young people in decades. And then while I was writing my sermon manuscript, uh, something popped up on my uh, newsfeed on my, on my computer from the, the report just released uh, from the CDC that uh, revealing that a 76%, 76% increase in teen suicide this last decade. Like this decade, there's been a 76% increase in teen suicide. And if you're wondering, well, that's great. I mean, not great, it's sad, but this is for the younger generation. I'm, I'm not in that, that age bracket or that age group. Uh, well, no, loneliness is across the board. It's a problem across the board. Uh, it is a problem for older Americans. Studies also show that 42.6 million Americans over the age of 45 suffer from chronic loneliness. And, uh, and that loneliness, is, is, they're showing, it also increases the chances of dementia or Alzheimer's. In fact, the prediction, I think in the next 10 years, that the, the cases of Alzheimer's will increase like five times the amount of what, it's, what, it, what it is today. And so what's the solution? Uh, you know, J.D. Greer um, had something to say. Oh, actually, I'll get to his quote in a second. Some think the solution is, well, if you're lonely and you're single, you should just get married. Anybody hear that before? <laughs> one person. So one person heard that. Um, yeah, if you're lonely, get married, and you'll be, then you'll be fine. And, and, uh, and so there's this myth that's prevalent in the evangelical church uh, particularly, but, but this myth of, you know, you just find somebody to, ha- to be romantically involved in and all your, your lonely problems will, will, will go away. And all of us who are married will say, wrong, right? Like, it doesn't go away. Um, I, I came across another study answering the question why, uh, well, not answering why, but, but you know, 50% of uh, uh, marriages in America end in divorce Uh, One study published by the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy listed the top three reasons that over 2,000 people who were surveyed gave for why their marriage ended in divorce. Number one reason, it was a lack of love or intimacy due to one or both partners falling out of love. The second reason, second highest reason, is uh, communication problems. And the third reason is a lack of sympathy, respect, or trust. Boil that down, why do marriages end in divorce? Loneliness. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor and also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I I like him a lot. He's a good thinker. Uh, I've read several of his books. Said this, he said, after watching a number in his book, The Gospel, if you you want to, I think it's it's not on the handout, but a book he wrote called Gospel is a great book. This quote comes from that book. 
After watching a number of marriages come together and break apart over the years, I can confidently say that insecure, lonely single people become insecure, lonely married people. It's true. And so what's the solution? Um, when I read Psalm 139, when we look at the scriptures, I think the solution to loneliness can be boiled down to two, two things, two answers that the Bible gives us. And the one is that you were made for a relationship with God. I know this sounds simplistic. Oh, I was able to say simplistic this service. <laughs> First service, I couldn't say simplistic. Um, it, it may sound overly simplistic that you were made for a relationship with God. And then two, you were made for a relationship within a community. It's in our DNA. Like when we looked at Psalm 139 and we learned that that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our God. And we, I talked about what, what does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? In this sermon series, we'll, we'll unpack what that looks like from week to week. But, but what we learn from the Bible is that you are made for a relationship with God. If we bear his image, we were made to know him. And we were made for community. And so those are my two points. I just gave them away. Uh, I'm gonna, I want to go a little deeper and explain what I mean by those, by those two, two answers or two solutions to our loneliness problem. One, you were made for a relationship with God. David said the two conclusions that David made in Psalm 139 were this. And they're actually, this is on the back of your handout also. Uh, God is who he is and there's nothing you can do about it to change him. He is who he is, and you can't do a thing to change him. Anytime you try to change God to fit what you want God to be, you know what that is? It's called idolatry. You're, you wind up worshiping an entirely different God altogether. So God is who he is, and there's nothing you can do to change him. And then two, David's second conclusion is, I am who I am because of who God is. Now, our culture will listen to that, and they'll say, or they'll hear that, and they'll say, yeah, that's true. You're, you know, God is who he is, and, and, you, and he made you, and he, well, flaws and all, so just settle on with your flaws. That's what defines you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's not what David had in mind when he reached this conclusion. It's not what the Bible teaches. What, what David had in mind when he came to, the, to terms with the reality, I am who I am because of who God is, is that we were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That does not mean that, uh, that our flaws and our sins or whatever define us. It's this whole sermon series. Your loneliness does not define you. Uh, at the core of your being, who you're attracted to does not define you. That's not God's intention for you as a human being. Our culture says, accept your flaws because they define who you are. God says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, but your flaws do not define you. At the core of your being, listen, at the core of your being, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's who you are, in the image of God. But your flaws, listen, your flaws are not the core of your being. A culture says, yeah, it is. God says, no. In fact, over and over and over again, what we read in the Bible, what we learn of in the Bible, is a God who loves us too much to leave us as we are. Like he's dealing with our flaws. Like I, I've said this over and over again in other sermons and series that I've preached, that uh, 
that God is bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your sin, and, and he's bigger than your questions. He's bigger than your mess. There's nothing that you have done that, ha, that, that, that causes you or has caused you to be too far to, for God's grace and his love to be able to reach you. That's the story of the Bible. David's response to God, to the God who, whose knowledge knew no limits, was that it was incomprehensible. He could not wrap his mind around it. Right? We looked at this last week. It almost sounds like David begins with, I'm not comfortable with God knowing everything about me to the point that, that he knows my thoughts and what I say before I know my thoughts and before I say what I say. But he, he, he concludes, but this is good news because God is good. He is good. He is infinitely good. I, I ended last week with that point. He is infinitely good. And he said, you know, uh, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And when I, when I think of how all-knowing you are, your all-knowingness, your, your ability to know all things, it, it's like, the way I feel is like you, you raise up a, a siege around me. You, you, lay up a, you, you raise up a barrier around me. There's nowhere that I can go to escape your thoughts and, 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 and the, the fact that you know who I am even better than I know who I am. And he said, that's good news. He said, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in, in, in Sheol, in, in the grave, you're, you're there. Meaning, you, you're, you're in heaven, and we get that. But even when I'm on my deathbed and I'm breathing my last breath, you're there with me, and if I run, try to run away from you, if I try to run to where the sun rises, you're there, and if I hop on a boat to, to, to where it's setting, you, you're there. There's nowhere I can go from your presence. And, and if God, which I believe he is, is always present, listen, then there is no room for an impersonal God. Now, that is terrible news if God is not good. That is fantastic news if he is good, and he's good. He's good. I said that like, last week. God is not Shrek. He's not an onion with layers, right? That's not how, that's not how his characteristics, you know, his love and his holiness and his justice and his, and, and his righteousness and his, you know, uh, you know, grace, it's not how those things work. He, he is all those things at the same time. That's who he is. Theologians call that the simplicity of God. His, his justice is equal with his love. His holiness is equal with his, with his grace. And his goodness is equal with all those. He's infinitely all those things at the same time. And that's why David says, you, you, I know this because you, you, out of your power, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Like You are a good God and I am the expression of your love, your grace, and your goodness. I am alive today. And we could say that. Every single one of you could say that this morning. In fact, here, let's do something a little uncomfortable. Ready? I want you to, to say this. I am alive today because God is good. Let's say it. Ready? I am alive today because God is good. 
And uh, in spite of what the person next to you thinks, <laughs> maybe you had an argument today and like, you know, the person next to you is like, ah, I don't think it's good that you're here. Um, <laughs> God is good and you are the, your existence, and despite what people may think, your existence is, is the testament to the fact that God is good. And so David's response in verse 23 and 24 is like, I know you're good, so God, may your goodness be the measuring rod, the standard of my goodness. You know, our culture reverses that. I'm going to make my, my idea of good the standard of God's goodness, and if God doesn't measure up, then he's not good. It should be the other way around, and that's exactly what David does. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart, try and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What is the way everlasting? It is all that pleases God. Lead me into, into your righteousness. I want to be righteous because you're righteous. I want to be holy because you're holy. Lead me in that way. And the only way, the only way I'm going to experience that and the only way I'm going to thrive as a, as a human being is if you lay your hand upon me and you guide me. That's Psalm 139. In fact, there's a passage in the Bible, Romans chapter 1, where, where we're told that if, if for a culture that, or a people that try to free themselves or live their lives without the hand of God upon them and guiding them, it, it, it leads to a bigger mess. Like, in fact, in Romans chapter 1, God said, okay, that's where you want to go? Then I'm going to hand you over to your own desires, and we'll see where that gets you. And... Uh, it's like what Matt Chandler said, I quoted last week. He said, you're not the point. Like, that's the story of the Bible. We're not the point. And he, God is the point, the one who made us in his image. And Matt said, the more you make yourself the point, the more jacked up your life is going to be. The more you realize you're not the point, the more freed up you will be to live the life that God has, uh, has for you. That's where thriving is found and discovered. Because he is all-knowing, because God is all-present, and because he is good, he is the only one who's able to guide and lead you in the way everlasting. That's where thriving is found. St. Augustine said this. I quoted him multiple times since I've been here as your pastor. You have made us for yourself, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That is, I believe, the first place that you need to, to run to when you're lonely is to, is to God. And, and not just coming to church. I'm talking about running to God, seeking him, hearing from him through his word, having a relationship with him that is only possible through a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, and you know, he lived the life that we could never live, the life we should have lived. And he died a death that we all deserved. We, die, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve his justice because his justice is perfect and we're not. We've sinned against him. And I said this, that where God's justice and his love and all of his character came together in, in a perfect way is that the cross on Golgotha when Jesus died in our place for our sins. 
It's there where, it's, it's, that's the reason why we can experience the mercy of God and, and know the goodness of God and know what it means to be a son or a daughter of the God we, whose image we bear. But we're also made for a relationship within a community. It's in our DNA, friends. Like, I know, there are introverts here. Uh, like, people wear you out, all right? Um, how many of you are introverts? I, I asked you to raise your hand, which is like anti-introvert, whatever. Um, like, the extroverts, if I raised your hand, you'd be jumping up and down, yeah! Um, I'm an extrovert. <laughs> people do not wear me out. I like being around people. But I have people in my life who are introverted, and people wear them out. Um, but here's the reality. You're still made for community, right? Like, there's a reason why. If you go to jail and you really misbehave, what happens? You go to solitary confinement, where you go, you, you know, if you are sheltered from human interaction, you can go nuts. We are made for community. It's in our DNA. And here, here I'm going to go a little deep here, and this is so important that you hear this. God did not create you or me because he needed something. Like, he wasn't in heaven thinking, I need somebody to complete me. I'm going to make creation. Like, that was not what God was thinking. He, God, listen, God does not suffer from loneliness. And here's the other thing. He has existed for all of eternity within community. He, he, he already had community in three distinguishable yet inseparable persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you're like, yeah, I don't understand that. Good. I don't either. I, I, so Seth asked me a question. He's like, Dad, uh, did God have a beginning? I said, no. He said, well, I don't understand that. I'm like, yeah, you're in good company. Yeah, and I tried to explain to him. I said, we had a bulimic cat by the name of Akira. We love that cat. Most of us love that cat. And and uh, Akira, we had her for like 10 years. Uh, and I say bulimic because no matter what we chose, I, I would spend time in an aisle staring at cat food thinking, what is it that will not cause this creature to puke on our carpet? Um, and I said to Seth, I said, Seth, you know what it's kind of like? I think, I think it's kind of like this. Akira, do you think Akira understood where her food came from? or the energy it took for me to try to find food that did not make her puke, that proved to be a dead end? Like, do you think she understood that? All she knew is that when she heard the food go into her bowl, it was time to eat, right? And so why do you think that is? Well, it's because, and I said to him, I said, because her intelligence is limited. Her mental capacity can only go so far. And when it comes to our understanding God, I know this almost sounds like a cop-out, it's not, our mental ability can only ascend so high and understand so much. But what the, the answer the Bible gives us for the reason why we, we, we are created to know God and worship him is one, we're created in his image. And because we're created in his image, we are created for community. We're created for community. We thrive within community. It's in our DNA. And you see this all through the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 2, Chapters 1 through 2, uh, we learn three things of human beings, three things that are true of every single one in this room, uh, that men and women were created in the image of God. That's chapter 1, verse 27, if you're taking notes. Uh, that human beings were created to manage God's creation. 
creation care. It's in our DNA. We are called to manage planet Earth. And then thirdly, we human beings were to do that within community. Because you get to Genesis chapter 2, and God, you know, God, God, like when you read the Bible, God's got these rhetorical questions. He knows the answer. It's like when, when Adam and Eve sinned, what, what did God say? Or what did he ask? Where are you? Of course he knew where they were. They just needed to hear how dumb they were in answering him. Like, we, we hid from you. How can you hide from a God who's all-knowing and everywhere present? Um, and, and so we bear the image of God. Uh, we, were created, we, were, we were created in his image. We were, you, we, in our DNA is this, this, this purpose for service, and we do that within community. But then you come to Genesis 2, and, and God said something very interesting. He said, it's not good for man to what? Be alone. Now, most people take that as a, blank state, a blanket statement on, on just uh, marriage. Everybody should be married. Like, that's the, that is the goal of humanity. That is not the goal of humanity. Um, Genesis chapter 2 is a story of the first married couple. But I do not believe Genesis chapter 2 is, is God's answer that, that if you get married, you're not going to be lonely. It's more than that. In Marriage is the only place, I'll say what marriage is first, and we're going to talk about this later on in the sermon series, but marriage is the only place that God has designed for sexual intimacy. It is a deep intimacy that that's, you, know, you, you can't experience in any other institution other than in the context of marriage, or at least should not. And, it, and, and that through that is where procreation happens. This is not a health lesson, you all know this, right? Um, but marriage is, not, marriage is not the only place where the intimacy of community can be experienced. See, sometimes in the church, and you're going to hear from somebody who's going to talk a little bit about this. You'll hear from Colleen. She's going to come up in a little bit. Uh, we, we make it that way. The only place you can really experience real awesome community is within marriage. You should get married. And, um, and what we've learned is that 50% of marriages and in divorce because people wind up going to a marriage thinking that that's going to fix all their problems, and it doesn't. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people were viewed as a community, not as individuals, but as a community, as God's kingdom of priests, you know? It's always plural. Um, and that they were to do mission within community. They were called to love God, love one another, and to engage the mission of God by serving the, the, the kingdom news of God to the world around them. That's all through the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. The phrase, one another, is used at least 100 times in 94 different verses in the New Testament alone. Of the hundred times that one another is used, it's used 47 times in reference to following Jesus. Did you know that? We were made for community. Together. There's a phrase that uh, a friend of mine uses uh, for, for churches. We're better together. And that's so true. Community is a big deal in the Bible. It's the place where we were created to thrive in our relationship with God through acts of service to one another and acts of service within God's mission. Are you, you tracking with me? Like, I, I, it sounds simple, but it's not. Like, if you want to figure out the purpose of your life, go to the one who made you. 
and find out what he says about your life. And what he says about your life, if God is real and if he's true, which I believe he is, I said last week, I believe the God of Psalm 139 is the God who spoke the galaxies into existence, then the solution to our loneliness is first, it needs to be first answered in, in and through a relationship with God. And it's also uh, answered in and through a relationship within community. And so I'll share a story in the Bible. Jesus, uh, Jesus talked to, you know, well, he, he made religious leaders upset because he kind of rocked the boats, uh, because he challenged their assumptions. There were Sadducees and there were Pharisees. The Sadducees were a religious group that believed that there was no resurrection. The Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection. They were always at each other's throats, but when it came to Jesus, they were on the same team, right? They, they didn't like Jesus. And, and so in Matthew 22, I've not seen this before until this week, uh, in Matthew 22, uh, there is a, a conversation with the Sadducees and a conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees. And it's there, those two conversations are sandwiched together for a reason and for a purpose. So the Sadducees came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, talking about the law in the Old Testament, if he has no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for, her, for his brother. And the reason for that is to carry the, the, the family name and the family lineage and and, and so if you were a widow and you had no offspring, you were, you were toast. I mean, in that culture, it was bad news. And so the Old Testament set up a system so that widows were cared for. So they asked the question. So if that happens, and his brother, you know, marries him, and he still has no offspring. Now, listen, like, it gets even more complicated. Like, now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, having no offspring, left, uh, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and the third, down to the seventh. Which, you know, then you're wondering, what is she doing? <laughs> like, they're all dying. Um, and, and, and so, after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. And uh, Jesus' answer is... This, it's brilliant. You're wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. You know what Jesus said? He said the one institution that is so important for human thriving on planet Earth, on this side of eternity, is the one institution that will not exist as we know it in heaven. So then the Pharisees were like, oh, he did a pretty good job. So let's, let's ask him another question. So the Pharisees said, well, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let's read this together because we need to be reminded of it. Ready? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Uh, the Bible is very clear that the law will not like, go away. You know? And Jesus said there, there's one thing that will continue in all of eternity that will be true of God's people forever, and that is loving God, knowing him, and loving one another within community. Those two things will, be, will exist for all of eternity, not marriage. 
but those two things. And that's why in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 26, we're, we're encouraged to do this. Let's read this together, okay? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's why we started life groups, because we need each other. If you're not plugged into a life group, when you leave here, go out there, take notes on which life group you would like to get plugged into and contact the life group leader. Uh, you, you, we need each other. And so I'm going to have Colleen come up here, and she's going to share a little bit of her story. But uh, we were made for a relationship with one another. We were made for a relationship with God. And, um, and that is God, I believe, God's prescription to combat you know, our loneliness. I asked our life group on, on Friday, what, uh, you know, remember, recall that moment in your life where you felt closest to God, most intimate with God, you know, where you just felt very connected to him. And uh, then I asked, in that moment, did you feel alone? Well, no. That didn't mean you were happy and you had a smile on your face or things were going peachy for you. And, you know, it, it just, but, but you didn't feel alone. Well, because we were made for a relationship with God and we were made to thrive within, uh, with, within community. And so I asked Colleen if she would be willing to share her story of, uh, you know, up to this point, uh, being a lifetime, uh, spending a lifetime being single and just struggling with loneliness and, and, and how she's wrestled with that. So she's going to share with you. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is Colleen and I'm single. <laughs> <clears throat> You're supposed to go, hi, Colleen. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, when I was younger, I always assumed I would get married. I figured I'd following the footsteps of my mom and my dad, and, and I wanted to get married. I, I mean, I was all excited about that, meeting the right man, dated lots of men, and, but none, no one was really ever quite the right person. And as I got into my 20s and, and into my late 20s, um, I was always um, asked the question, why aren't you married? Which is code for what is wrong with you? Because that's kind of the idea that, well, if you're not married, then there must be something wrong with you. And, and I believe that. I thought, well, maybe there is something wrong with me. I don't know. I was also told, um, you must reach a certain level of spiritual maturity before the Lord brings the right man into your life. Hmm. Well, I guess I'm still working on that spiritual maturity because here I am. I'm still not married. Okay. Uh, I had people that tried to play matchmaker. Oh, dear. I know this great man. He's a physician. You really need to meet him. <laughs> and uh, that, that didn't work either. I had people tell me, um, if you're single, you're selfish. Um, you don't understand commitment. You don't uh, have financial responsibility. I had those things dropped in my lap. And I had the ever-famous 1 Corinthians 7, 6, and 7. Now, if you're, if you're single, um, I, I know you've heard this. If you've been single for any amount of time, I know you've heard this. 
And uh, this is where someone says, you know, Paul said that, uh, you know, it really is better to be single than to be married. And I had that handed to me a lot of times. And finally, I had a pastor say that to me one time. So I said, you do know the rest of that, that verse, right? You do know what the rest of that says. And he kind of got this horrified look on his face. I said, because the rest of it says, but if you can't control, control your desires, then by all means, marry. And he kind of, uh, uh, oh, <laughs> that kind of stopped him in his tracks. So I had all of these different things that came my direction. And I have to say that my 30s were the hardest. They were the most miserable time for me. I'd moved to Cheyenne when I was 30, and I started a new job. And my job took me on the road anywhere from one to three weeks out of every month from mid-August through the end of May. So I was gone quite a bit of the time. And I didn't have the opportunity to develop community. All the Bible studies were during the week, and I was gone during the week, and they didn't do Bible studies on weekends, and so I was kind of out there. Now, I, had a t I, I did attend Bible studies every now and then. I, I mean, I was in a while. But even in that one, I would go to Bible study, and then I'd go home, and then that's all there was. There, there wasn't any really any community within and of itself at that particular time. So um, I was active in my previous church, very active. I was part of the creative team that developed um, the service, and we, we got the music together. I wrote dramas. I acted in dramas. Uh, I directed dramas, I, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. But it still was not community. It was a job. It was doing a job, going and getting it done, and then going on to the next thing. So... Um, I, I, around 40, um, I realized something needed to change. And so I found a Christian counselor. I talked with my physician. I did, they did some test stuff and figured out that I had clinical depression. So, okay. So we started getting that under control. And I started to feel better. But my loneliness was still a problem. So one of the things that I did start to do is I realized that if I wait for someone to ask me to do something, I will never do anything. I'll be sitting here, and that's not okay. So I started getting bold and doing things on my own. And I would go off on weekends. I've been to the Broadmoor down in Colorado Springs a few times and um, uh, went down and hobnob with the beautiful people and uh, enjoyed that. And, and I've gone up to Estes, and I've gone for drives, and I take myself out for meals. And I'm not afraid to do stuff by myself, you know. And I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. But I also came to the point of where I had to come to the point, because I had this thing in my hand of saying, I really want to get married. And I I had to finally ask God, if it's not your will for, to, for me to marry, then please take this desire from me. So it was ha being willing to open my hand and let him take that. And that is not an easy thing to do. That's a really difficult thing to do. And think about, um, think about being willing to give up something that you're incredibly passionate about or that's a dream, something that you've always wanted to do, something that you're working hard towards, something that you have absolute passion for, 
and being willing to open up your hand and say, God, if you want me to not do this or you want me to take a different direction, then here, take this from me. So it was a very difficult thing. And in asking God to do that, I said, by the way, I hope you don't. Okay, just so you know. But I'm willing, but you know. <laughs> so that was, that was difficult. But it was the only way I could move forward because I could not do this by myself. And um, I learned that in my singleness, just like Paul with a thorn in his side being single, God was saying, my grace is sufficient for you, you know, and I will sustain you and, and it'll be okay. So um, I came to, when I came to Meadowbrook, things really did start to change. I, my job changed, so I wasn't traveling so much, so I was able to get into a Bible study group, and, and I was asked to join a Bible study group, and um, gosh, they, they accepted the little mess that I was, the little mess that I still am, and they brought me in. And this Bible study group was not like other groups I've been in. This is a group where we go camping together. We help each other do things. If we have home improvements that need to be done, the gang can get together and we can work together and get things done. We have meals together once a month um, because it's part of community. Okay, and now I belong to three different groups because I have Monday night Bible study, I have Thursday night Bible study, <clears throat> and now I have the, the Friday morning uh, women's coffee clutch. I figured, well, if men can do it, so can women, you know. So we get together every other Friday, and we meet at Dad's Donuts, and we, we buy donuts and coffee and flap our lips for a couple of hours, and it's great. It's awesome. Some Christian women getting together and just talking about stuff. So um, I'm a different woman today. God has really changed my heart, and I'm fine with being single. I embrace that. Matter of fact, I have a couple men friends, and I've told them uh, I'm not interested in anything other than just being good friends and palling around and going and having me own things like that. Um, I no longer believe the lies that I'm not good enough, that there's something wrong with me, that I'm less than, because I'm not less than. Um, and I also realized that even volunteering at church, <clears throat> excuse me, is not community necessarily. If you work in the nursery, if you work with the coffee, if you uh, help with counting money, the, you know, all the different little jobs that go on around church, um, that in and of itself is also not community. It's, it's gathering together with people and, and being part of something. And my commitment to community sent me and a friend of mine to Lincoln, Nebraska the day after Christmas this year because we had some good friends that were in a car crash. And we spent um, four days there five days. And um, we were there. We, we, you know, we, that, that person, those people are not going to be by themselves. We're going we're gonna to come in behind them and we're going to be there to support them. That is community. That is awesome. Um, that is what God has made me be. I have a servant's heart, so I'm all over that. I love doing stuff like that. So, um, you know, for, for people that are single, for people that are uh, divorced, for people that are widows, there's many worse things in life than being, than being single. It's okay to be single. Now, uh, so you've talked about just that moment where you 
said, okay, Lord, this is yours if, if you really want to take it. Please don't, but uh, I'm okay if you do. Uh, so I, I, my guess is that some in this room have had that experience where you've had something like, Lord, you can take this. Have you found yourself struggling or in seasons in your life where you really continue to struggle with that desire? Like, like I, I think of in my own life, I think of moments where I said to the Lord, I, you can have this. And, I, and I'm reminded of uh, Romans chapter 12, where it says, you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to the Lord. Well, the problem, somebody said the problem with living sacrifices is that they crawl off the altar. And, uh, and I've, you know, I've experienced, you know, that just want, there's this tension of even wanting to go back. Um, can you speak into that in your life? Yeah, I, I think that that's something that I struggle with. Um, the loneliness thing is, I think it's a daily, I think it's a daily thing. You know, I, um, I do not thrive being by myself. I thrive when I'm around people. And I'll even go out, I'll even jump in the car and go to Fort Collins and, and go to Red Robin and have a burger just to be around people. I mean, that that is a shot in the arm to me. So I think it's a daily, I think it's a daily struggle. The desire for marriage is gone. I mean, that that has not, that that is has left, and I'm good with that, and, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um. That passage in Hebrews chapter 10, just looking for ways to, let's see, uh, you know, considering ways how to stir up one another to love and good works. That can only happen in community. And like your friends who go to this church who were in that car accident, um, that would not have, you, your ability to just drive up there and be with them and serve them would would not be there if it weren't if that friendship wasn't first formed in a community. And I said this before: we need each other. Uh, you, there are no Lone Ranger Christians in God's book. Um, we we need each other, and we thrive within community. And and the way to just to the primary ways to address loneliness. There are other ways, but the primary ways is just a relationship with God. Just you know, opening up, opening up you know the scriptures. Sometimes people say, I don't, I just don't hear from God. Uh, and their Bible's home, and it's all dusty. <laughs> That's why. Um, it goes, a relationship with God goes both ways. And so, so pursuing him and seeking him is, is one way. And then, and then connecting with the people, that, with people who love God. Uh, we need that. That's where life groups comes in, come into play, and you've have other, you have other social interactions with, with other brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm sure you find very important. And then the service piece. The service piece is huge. We were made to serve. I like this in our DNA. To manage earth, but also to engage God's mission in a, in a world that, that, that is lonely. There's, I mean, 76% increase in, in, in suicides uh, is ridiculous. And, and I really do believe that, this, that the gospel... You know, bringing the gospel to those who are lonely is 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 an answer. And so, anyway, I just I thought it'd be really great for you to hear from Colleen. Thank you, Colleen, for sharing. Uh, each week we will have somebody who will come up and share. Uh, they're either in the middle of wrestling with whatever topics we address in the in the sermon of that of that particular Sunday, or they're on the other side of it. So we'll, each week we have somebody who's agreed to to share. I'm going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for uh, you. Thank you that you wired us for yourself. 
to be satisfied in you and that you wired us to be in community. And I thank you for this community, uh, this Meadowbrook community. And I thank you for how you are shaping lives here and forming lives. And uh, God, I, I just, I, I thank you. And, I, and God, use us. We ask that you would use us to, to carry the gospel, bring the gospel to a community here in Cheyenne where suicide is just off the charts uh, and, and in our world that needs to hear the gospel and need to, to hear about the community that you've wired us for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.